0: Welcome to Art Conversations and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. Annis Karpenko has been the Executive Director of Visual Arts Mississauga since 2014. She holds a Master's of Fine Arts from Goddard College and a Master's of Education from OISE University of Toronto. She has an eclectic work life in small and medium-sized businesses and not-for-profits. Her early days were in theatre, where she was the administrative director of a summer theatre and stage manager. She has worked in the literary arts as an editor, proofreader, and typesetter. In addition, she has worked as an administrator for an opera singer, an entertainment lawyer, a South African wine importer, as a church secretary, and even as a kinder gym instructor, she has been a lifelong artist and arts lover. Annis mostly works in photography and mixed media. She has a love of dabbling in new mediums and new ideas. Please help me welcome Annis Karpenko to the podcast. Good evening, Annis, and thank you for joining me.
1: Hi, Lisa. It's always my pleasure to chat with you. It's always fun.
0: I wish we had a coffee in front of us right now. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I thought we would start tonight by having you tell us a little bit about Visual Arts Mississauga. You've been there for seven years, so can you explain to anybody who doesn't know about Visual Arts Mississauga what it is, where it is,
1: and your role? Sure. I'm executive director of a really magnificent facility in the center of Mississauga, which If anyone doesn't know, it's a pretty large urban area, but we are fortunate to be located in the middle of a 150-acre conservation park called Riverwood. It's owned by the Credit Valley Conservation Authority and the City of Mississauga and the Riverwood Conservancy and VAM, I like to think, are stewards of the property. And it really is an amazingly gorgeous park of natural beauty. So we're very blessed to be there. And in 2005, the building was built. VAM used to be down at the University of Toronto Mississauga campus. And when they were moved out of there, this new building done in really a Frank Lloyd Wright kind of style. It's long and very modern, but fits in with the scenery nicely, was built. And so since that time, we've been running visual arts classes for ages six and up in myriad mediums, drawing, watercolor, oil, acrylic, uh, clay, hand-building figure drawing a whole wealth of things mixed media and we ran about a pre-COVID I always say we ran about 230 courses a year and we ran a really robust summer camp program for children and we had a very very kind of exciting exhibition program at VAM in the VAM studios and, and the VAM gallery which is our hallway We did an annual juried show, and we did the exhibit up at the Central Library every summer. And we always say we are built on three pillars of excellence. So art education, for sure, art exhibition, and then our community engagement program, where we deliver art workshops into Peel Region schools, senior homes, organizations such as Big Brothers or Boys and Girls Club, big brothers and sisters and, um, other areas. So we run quite a few workshops during the year. Again, COVID changed everything for everybody, but yeah.
0: I have to say for anybody who hasn't seen it, it is the prettiest location around. Oh, it is. What an amazing space you have to go to every day for work. Some of my favorite moments there have been, uh, being in a classroom and having a deer come up to the window.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's really, it's remarkable. We've had a possum and deer and foxes and there's all sorts of things. And the birds are exquisite. There's a big birding community at Riverwood. And the Riverwood Conservancy runs nature programs throughout. And we have, you know, when the weather's great, we have instructors who adore doing plein air workshops Mm -hmm. so we've had quite a few of those over the time.
0: And how are art
1: centers like VAM important
0: to the community?
1: Oh wow well I think creativity in any way I like to think everybody's well I believe truly everybody has a creative spirit and whether it manifests through music or performing arts or visual arts dance there's so many ways and of doing it and you know, Richard Florida's work at University of Toronto, his research shows that great communities have vibrant arts communities mm-hmm. within them. And so Mississauga is really blessed with a phenomenal amount of culture, cultural events, cultural communities at our disposal, whether it's a living arts center, the Mississauga Symphony The choral groups, the art gallery, it just goes on, Mississauga Arts Council, Heritage Mississauga, which, you know, again, brings in so much of the heritage of the community. And there's so many partnerships and collaborations, not enough personally Mm -hmm. speaking, but certainly in my time, we've worked really hard to build creative and community partnerships and collaborations. I can't stress enough that I really believe that's going to be everybody's salvaging Mm post-COVID, that we're really going to have to find ways to create partnerships, collaborate, and build community support together, not separately. We've been very siloed for some time. So that's going to change, I think. I've
0: heard from a lot of artists about how COVID has impacted them. How has it impacted BAM and what role do you think BAM plays in supporting artists during this very unusual time?
1: Well, you know, I got to say the one thing at the very beginning, because it was very clear that the world was moving into a, a space that none of us were familiar with, As we look back now over the last 18 months at VAM, we call them COVID gifts, and we've had many of them, many, many of them. And for start, we had instructors on staff that were comfortable teaching online. So Mm -hmm. we were able to pivot very quickly, even though we lost our whole spring term. We lost everything, really, but we were able to pivot quickly and get some online offerings. And then we also lucked out, and one of our instructors and her husband had been working in the online community. He ran a program at one of the local colleges. He was in charge of all their online learning. So they developed a six-week course for our instructors Mm -hmm. that we provided to them so that those that didn't know how to teach online could. We always laughed because we'd been talking about making online offerings for three years before COVID hit. And there was a lot of resistance from students and staff and instructors saying, no, no, no. And rightly so, because we have a really, really beautiful facility and a really beautiful park. But, you know, we were forced to switch and people were forced to make the change. And so because of that, it was pretty much done without any resistance. You know, people were already somewhat tech savvy and Everybody wanted to come back and hoped to come back. We did get to open for seven weeks last fall, and we're open again this fall. But I think, you know, maintaining different methods, every artist I know, um, gosh, the amount of work and creative work that was put out is really remarkable and exciting. You know, and they found ways, artists found ways. Um, You interviewed Marie Payne and Arts on the Credit just did drive-through exhibit. And people were having art exhibits in their yard and outside. And I think people have really found ways, found that silver lining. Yeah,
0: I agree. A lot of artists have evolved significantly during this time. And I've talked to them about a number of different projects that have come about that would never have emerged had COVID not happened. You yourself are a very creative person. So you're not just an executive director in an arts institution, but you're actually an artist yourself.
1: I am, actually. I I don't get enough time to do it. And so my go-to right now is photography, because I love doing it. One of my personal COVID gifts is living in Port Credit. And so I have the lake two blocks away. And Mm -hmm. I started my Gifted with a New Day series on social media. So every morning, Most mornings I would get out and catch dawn and the sunrise down on the lake and go for a walk. And it was, it's exquisite. I really love light. That's my greatest influence. I follow it. It was calling me out the door saying, it's going to be really nice out here this morning. You should come out and take a look at it. And there's an amazing community at 530, in the morning out wandering, taking pictures and running and you find each you know, the regulars and we learned everybody's names and it's really nice. So that's been my gift, yeah.
0: I can't say I know that
1: community <laughs> It's a little early, but yeah. And and how did you get into photography? Honestly, I did a lot of art. I've always been a dabbler, a doodler, a writer. But in high school and university, I was actually in theater and Mm -hmm. on the technical side. So I ended up predominantly being a stage manager. But Mm -hmm. I had kids really quickly right out of university. I have two daughters. Mm -hmm. And that became my, you know, taking pictures of them, but just taking pictures And then back when we could still get black and white film and we could still develop it ourselves. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there was that. So it started, honestly, I'm laughing. Somebody just posted a picture. I think it's 1980, Mm -hmm. 79 or 80. And I'm there with my first Pentax camera in the picture. And I've just been doing it. It's been my go-to. At one point, I I got tired of seeing the world like through that little lens with my camera. So I switched and I left my camera at home and I started painting my photographs. And so I went through a whole period where I was painting some abstract work and and some scenes, you know, representational stuff from my photograph Mm -hmm. and then moved into mixed media when I went to do my Masters of Fine Arts, it was in multidisciplinary art, mm-hmm. and I did that specifically because I don't like to choose. You know, I like painting, and I like doing collage, and I like photography, and I like writing, and I like text. You were speaking with Cal Honey about his love of using text in his artwork, and and I love that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to have to make a choice and say, "Oh, I'm only a painter, or I'm only a." this or that so it gives me a lot of breadth to work with I do textile I was a weaver for a while and I've got blankets and scarves and all sorts of things so I like textile work too yeah I find a lot of artists like to cross
0: back and forth between different mediums I don't know where that idea comes from you just have to do one thing I don't know if that's an academic idea or well, I
1: mean, some people, you know, flourish at that. And, and quite frankly, if you're going to be selling work, you, that's what you do because galleries and dealers want, you build a name on what your work is. So, you know, Joan Mitchell and, you know, any of the artists, some of the other artists that interest me, Patty Smith, Joni Mitchell, not to be confused with Joan Mitchell, but Joni Mitchell whose music she said, I did my music to support my painting. You know, she's a phenomenal artist. Um, Bob Dylan, I'm not sure where, it might be New York right now, but there's an exhibit of Bob Dylan's work as well. And it's really interesting. And I think if you're a creative person, you will find different ways to let that creativity out. You have no choice. You know, it's yeah. it has to come out, so... Yeah, we
0: also think of certain artists as just being like a painter or sculptor. I'm thinking of like Picasso, but yet he has a whole ceramics Uh, that we forget about because we don't see them exhibited or talked about in the same way.
1: And any art history, you know, he went through very specific periods of work Mm -hmm. where he created a body of work around a theme or a color or, and many artists do that. Like, they create different bodies of work around different themes and genres, so, yeah. So, we didn't start
0: from where you began, but you actually grew up in the United States.
1: I did. I, I, I always say, though, when I go to the border, because I have dual citizenship and they get cranky sometimes, but my, what I ask is, how do you choose between your mother and your father, So my father was born in New York, and my mother was born up here in Quebec, Mm -hmm. and that's been my reality. I consider myself, whether it's binational, I don't know if you call it that, but I lived in the States till I was 18, but this place that I have in Quebec, this little town, I've come up here every year for my entire life and lived here for two 10-year periods, different 10-year periods. So back to not having to make a choice. I feel so many, particularly in Mississauga, where, you know, 53% of our population wasn't born in North America. Mm -hmm. And so we're global. I think people, if they consider themselves global and we were all looking at each other as global and earthlings, you know, a lot of trouble and things would be borders are not good things. You know, they create
0: it could be an interesting right. idea to explore artistically, like the idea of being transient or the yeah. idea of
1: putting down roots. Well, in Quebec and Ontario, you know, are very different provinces, and Quebec is its own little world as well. So I feel like I've got this incredible. Uh, wealth of richness of experience, whether i'm I'm in Quebec right now, so whether I'm in Quebec or I'm in Ontario or I'm in the States or I'm in Canada, there's a lot of richness to expanding your experience beyond. Does that experience
0: those differences in places and spaces? Does that inform how you create art, but also how you approach being an executive director because you have these different
1: perspectives? Yeah, I think I've, I've been very lucky in that I try not to compartmentalize my life too much. Mm-hmm. So my work life and my life life, you know, it's different when you have kids and stuff, but they blend together. And I feel like I'm a person of the world. I'm a human here at this time in this place,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and as we are all. So one of the things I, I was very, very interested in when I got to VAM was building community. And I think we've done that really well. I feel like we have put together a really welcoming community where people come and, you know, I can't tell you how many people start off going, I'm not an artist, and then they say, oh, but I love making art. Mm-hmm. So that's a success. me. I love creating. I love making art. If you get beyond labels, I know many artists who now call themselves artists or writers will tell you it took them a long time to be able to say that out loud. I think there's a lot of people that, you know, took a long time to say, I am an artist and I am a dancer. And it didn't mean they weren't creating all that period of time. It just means that they were judging their work. They were not ready to say that. They were not ready to put themselves out in the world because it's scary to put your soul out like that. And I feel that if you can offer, when you asked earlier, what do uh, creative communities like them and others offer? It's really the opportunity for people to discover Things that within themselves that they might not know were there, or they mm-hmm. thought were there. They, when I was a kid, I used to love drawing, and now I'm going to come back and try. You know, it's magic, really. I never get tired of watching it all blossom.
0: I recently uh, interviewed an artist. It's an upcoming episode, so I'm not going to reveal too much. But we had a discussion about that imposter syndrome. Yes, and. The idea of taking ownership of being an artist and saying you're an artist and figuring out what that means. So it plays out for sure in a lot of creatives at different stages in their Mm
1: -hmm. development. Mm -hmm.
0: You are fortunate to get to watch people come to the epiphany.
1: Oh, it's an honor. You know, it really is an honor. And I think at the beginning of COVID, our main goal was to keep people engaged, that people wanted to be engaged and to find different ways to do that. We have an amazing team. We've had a lot of change over the last year and a half, but we have always had an amazing team there to help people find their little special magic. so and they're so encouraging. You know the staff is so encouraging, and it's great.
0: You'd mentioned earlier that you did your MFA. What kind of work did you do for that? And does it play into any of the things that you're doing now with photography? Are there links or have you just sort of put that to the side for the time being?
1: Uh, I'm certainly not doing as much work as I had planned to do post MFA. I've got the job at VAM within six months of me graduating but the two and a half years that I was doing my MFA, I got to explore so many things. And back to imposter syndrome, you know, up until then I was a worker and I was an administrator and I was a mom and I was a wife and I was a, all sorts of things. It was the first time I really gave myself the two and a half years to immerse myself in my own creativity. Mm-hmm. And it was transformative, truly life-transforming. Mm-hmm. And, and in many ways, in how I carried on my life afterwards, in my ability, how I saw things, it widened my ability to see and to be with nature. My biggest body of work during that time was around rocks, actually. We'd done an excavation around our house and all these big boulders that had been the foundation of an old farmhouse that had been on the property came up, and they kept speaking to me. So Mm -hmm. the bulk of my work during that time, whether I was painting or doing it within mixed media or just drawing or sketching, whatever, was around rocks. So yeah, it was exciting.
0: (laughs) And so what do you imagine if I was to say, what's the next chapter post-BAM when you don't have to do the responsible stuff of an administrator? Will you return to being an artist? How would you write your next chapter?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my friends and I love them all have heard me go, my book, my book, my book. And Mm -hmm. which has, you know, I do have a couple of little books, but I haven't done the big book and I think it's going to be around my photography so Mm -hmm. I'm going straight into that and also just getting some unfettered time to create I don't you know people say oh I don't golf because I don't have five hours or whatever to be able to immerse yourself in your work where time has no place or meaning into it you can be working in the night and sleeping during the day and waking up and napping here and you know it's all within that cycle of creation
0: where time
1: has no meaning and i am so looking forward to getting into some of that
0: I got to experience a little tiny bit of that the year that I took
1: the sabbatical off. Yes.
0: It's a different ebb and flow when you're not accountable to a full-time job. Yeah, it really is. And mm -hmm. so I'm looking forward to that. And you mentioned your morning walks, you'd go daily for these walks. And I imagine as a creative person, that act of walking definitely would be inspirational, but also it must generate new ideas and and thoughts. And
1: how, how does that influence you? Oh, you know, my the morning, in fact, I went for a walk this evening before this just to clear my head. There's something, I just wrote a piece about where your attention falls. And mm-hmm. so many, many things happen in and around us, but our attention can only fall on a finite amount of things. We just can't hold in everything that's going on.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: paying attention to where your attention goes has been really interesting. And on the walks, you know, the light has always drawn me out. And I go before the sun rises. So to see the early light come in and then move up and then to watch things get illuminated because every, there is no color in the, at night. You know, mm-hmm. it's all dark. And it's only the light that comes up and then then all of a sudden everything's revealed. You can be lying in your bed in the darkness and you feel your body, but you can't see it. You know, you just don't know that it's there. Well, you do know that it's there, but you can't see it. So watching things reveal themselves, um, particularly early in the morning. Well, it's just in my cells, you know, I love it so much.
0: It's very inspiring to hear you talk about it. It's like, huh, maybe I should get up.
1: Well, <laughs> I and, get and, early, but I don't pay attention to this. <laughs> so well, I'm, you know, and there are many people, I always laugh because I thank the people, you know, they say, thank you so much for going out early and posting your pictures of dawn mm-hmm. and the sunrise. And I say that in return, thanks so much for posting the sunset because mm-hmm. I'm in bed or heading to bed. It's funny because in Port Credit, I face south, east. So I get the sunrise, and here in Quebec, I face southwest, Mm. so I get the sunset. Well, that's interesting. It is interesting. And so, you know, the sunrise is over Lake Ontario, and I was just down on Cape Cod Bay last week, and the sunrise there over the ocean, I mean, it's, I, I was laughing, I said to somebody, you know, the one thing the weatherman always gets right is sunrise and sunset. Those times are, are absolutely correct. There might be fog but, or cloud, but they are dead on. You can count on it. And particularly during COVID, when we were in this incredibly unknown, weird space, there was something really comforting about the sun rose every day. And the moon, you know, the moon that's over me is over you in Ontario, is over my kids in Pickering and London and my family in the States. It's the constant for us. And I found great comfort in that.
0: I was actually just thinking while you were talking about this and you you mentioned about the ocean, but everywhere you go, there's water.
1: Yeah. What's the significance of water? I don't know. I'm an earth sign, but it brings me great, great comfort and peace.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: The waves. Yeah. I can't imagine ever not living. I mean, a month not living somewhere near water. Have you ever thought about that or or was it, were you more focused on the light? No, no. I mean, I've, well, the light's magnificent, but I lived in Toronto in the beach for 20 years and, Mm -hmm. you know, to be able to walk to anybody of, of water. So it's definitely a draw for you. Yeah, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I always ask my guests as we're starting to wrap up just to tell me about a book that they love. And I know you are an avid reader, so this might be hard to choose one. Yeah. But is there a book that speaks to you or a couple of books that really speak to you?
1: I think I gave some thoughts I'm going to say old books, Art and Fear was one.
0: Mm-hmm. I've been
1: reading Patti Smith, whose music, you know, I'm somewhat drawn to, but I'm really drawn to her writing. So she wrote a beautiful book called The M Train and mm-hmm. Year of the Monkey is her new one. I, I find I'm drawn to books, oddly enough, about grief. Mm-hmm. So Joan Didion's Year of Magical Thinking, Emotion works that are that speak to a person's emotions.
0: Mm-hmm. Now,
1: as an artist, much of that comes up and out, whether you intend it to or not. Often, if it comes up and out and it's uncomfortable, you don't know what to do with it, and it can either be used as a tool in your work or it becomes a hindrance
0: mm-hmm. to
1: your work because you're grappling. Um, So finding ways to really work with the incredible, you know, whole spectrum of emotion, whether it's joy or sadness. But I will say this year, this year and a half, and I know I'm not alone, and at different points in my life, I've befriended grief and spent some time with it and invited it for tea and... I could think of better tea guests. (laughs) Well, there are, except, you know, it's there. And I think, you know, even though there were so many COVID gifts in this last year and a half, a lot was lost. And much of what was lost was pure expectation of thinking we knew the way that things should be, which, as it turns out, we don't. I very often say, huh, we think it's all about us. And that became so true this last 18 months. So, being drawn to outside of that grief, to be drawn to the stars and the heavens and, the, mm-hmm. and nature. It's
0: an interesting juxtaposition because you're drawn to the start of new days and, and light, and yet you spend time with grief, which is a contrast to that. If I think grief, I think dark and
1: isolated. But if you look at the seasons, that's exactly it. So my mm-hmm. grandmother hated winter. Everything Mm -hmm. dies, she said. Everything dies. And she's right. But it Mm -hmm. doesn't actually die, it just goes dormant. Yeah. And in any creative life, there are going to be periods where you've run out of road. You Mm -hmm. know, you just, you've put all your energy into something and you've birthed something like uh, some great body of work or some great painting. In, in theater, we used to call it postpartum when the show closed because, mm-hmm. you know, you'd worked and you'd rehearsed and thing and then it runs and you're there every night doing it. And then there's this kind of whoosh, letdown. But mm-hmm. those are that fallow period and every, you know, crop needs it, that period of rest.
0: I never put it that way. That's a really interesting analogy. I would be with your grandmother on the not liking the darkness of winter.
1: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I I know many people that don't. And there's seasonal affective disorder because it gets dark and your body really responds to sunlight. But Mm -hmm. it's also we're not really used to allowing ourselves that period of time to rest. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, our schedules don't change because it's winter or summer or spring. They kind of run full out. And in summer, we pack it with even more because mm-hmm. the weather's so nice. We're not all that comfortable slowing down. And COVID gave everybody a really good taste of that. And not everybody liked it.
0: Yeah, it really stopped the world and made
1: yeah. a pause. So. Yeah, yeah. But it's... You know, the leaves are falling, they're turning red and yellow, and they're falling off, and then the trees are bare. But you know they're going to come back. Like, the sun's going to rise tomorrow, the leaves are going to come back in the spring, the new flowers are going to spring up. And... Yeah, I always get
0: excited in spring.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I love
0: seeing little plants popping up. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's Here's amazing. People. The winter's the time we cultivate hope and faith that that's mm-hmm. going to happen and we're going to be around for it.
0: Yeah, these are beautiful analogy. And so I think you, you're onto something here and you may have to write these ideas down.
1: Thanks.
0: It's been great chatting with you and I really appreciate it. I can't wait to see what comes if this book that will grow as you start this next chapter, as you called it. Yeah thank you
1: it's been great thanks so much bye thank
0: you for tuning in to art conversations with lisa jane irvine if you enjoyed today's episode please subscribe and hit the like button and don't forget to check out my website facebook and instagram accounts thank you for listening see you next time